Mark 12, 28 through 44. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing, disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people, rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to them and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contribute out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The Gospel of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together as you stand. Father in heaven, we come now uh, to your word, and um, Father, I, I ask that you will highlight to us uh, Jesus' gift of himself. Help us to see how big that gift is. And Father, I pray that as we um, talk about things, that there's well, a bunch of things that, that could, um, that could uh, cause uh, difficulty, distress, concern, question. Um, but Lord, will you, by your Holy Spirit, will you make yourself clear? Uh, will, you, will you make Jesus clear, compelling? Will you allure us with his love to love him back with all that we are? And that takes a miracle, so we boldly ask for a miraculous work within our hearts. We bless you. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And uh, it's helpful if you uh, turn back. We're going to look May, We're going to look exclusively at the Mark reading. Um, <clears throat> today we are pausing our series in Daniel just for one week. We'll come back to it ne next week. We kind of, that, that reading kind of left it on a cliffhanger. 
but that's just to make everybody interested. Um, so we're just going to set Daniel aside for just this week. And we're going to talk uh, a little bit about giving. Uh, Brooke was just talking about how we're doing this little mini-series. The vast majority of it's going to happen outside the context of the sermon. Uh, but the council asked me to address it um, to some extent today. So we're going to talk about giving, except in a bigger way, we're not talking about giving or not just about giving. Um, what I want to do is try to take this opportunity as we look at giving, as we consider generosity, um, I would like the opportunity to put it in a larger frame of discipleship. Um, so take the idea of giving and just kind of set it over here. We're going to pick it up kind of at the tail end of the sermon. But before we do that, I want to talk about something bigger. And to set that up, um, I want to point out something that's very odd about Christianity. Christianity has a lot of things that are really weird. And here's one of them. You can be a very observant Christian. Like you can be very active in religious activity. You can check all the outward behaviors of the ethical life and like get audited religiously and come back with no findings in your religious audit. And despite all that religious activity, it is easy to miss the point of Christianity. Put succinctly, it is possible to at least apparently do everything right and yet nevertheless deeply get it all wrong. Now, does that sound odd, confusing? It was odd and confusing in Jesus's day. Um, if you read Jesus, and you can see this in our reading, we're going to, but you can see it more broadly. Like if you read the stories of Jesus, the stories of his life, um, one of the things that just stands out is that Jesus, and a lot of you know this, was very, very critical. In fact, he was most commonly critical towards the most, uh, to the, some of the most observant religious people around. Jesus regularly, this is one of the odd things about him, is he regularly looked at super observant religious people and he said in so many words, you look like you're doing everything right and yet and in deep way, you're getting it all wrong. And on the other hand, very often Jesus looked at people who didn't immediately look very impressive and he could say to them, wow, there's something happening within you that really delights God. And it was terribly confusing for the people that in Jesus' day, and it's confusing to us. And if it's confusing, that probably means we're beginning to wrestle with its reality. What I want to say today is that it's very important that we delve into this dynamic and try to understand it, because if we do, we'll gain an insight into the inner logic of the entirety of the Christian life, not just about giving, not least about giving, but we'll have an insight into what makes sense of the whole of the Christian life. Now, still haven't really gotten into it, but Come with me, and we're going to do two things. First of all, we're going to look at a type of religion that looks good outwardly, but nevertheless is kind of repulsive to God. And on the other hand, we're going to look at a type of religion that might not look very impressive on the outside, but nevertheless delights the heart of God. And then we'll talk a little bit about giving. So first of all, a religion that looks good on the outside, but really offends God. Take a look at that reading from the Gospel of Mark. 
and uh, look for verse 38. That's that little number 38. We call them verses. Uh, in verse 38, Jesus says this. He says, beware of the scribes, these are religious teachers, who walk, who like to walk around in long robes. Do you notice I'm not in robes today? <laughs> who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. I don't get those and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the feasts who devour widows houses and for a pretense make long prayers they will receive the greater condemnation um it, reading the bible as a pastor is an awkward experience partially because when when jesus starts talking to religious leaders it's almost always bad um Look at there, Jesus is talking about this, these group called the scribes. They were some of the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus just takes the gloves off, right? He's, he's, he's really strong language. Why? Well, let me set up the context here. This is a portion of the Gospel of Mark where, uh, that describes, in a series of stories, describes Jesus' conflict with the religious leaders, the religious authorities of his day. And they have a bunch of theological debates. They don't agree on a lot, but one thing, there's one thing that they do agree on, and it's in our reading toward the front. One of these scribes, a teacher of the law, a pastor kind of person, comes up to Jesus and, and asks Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Out of all the commandments, there's lots of them, which one's the one that really matters the most? And watch how Jesus answers. Look, look back at verse uh, 29. He says, the most important commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then continuing, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Do those sound familiar? Uh, if you hang around Emmanuel, you'll notice we say that at the beginning of pretty much every service. And this is where it comes from. According to Jesus, if you boil everything down, everything in the Christian life rests on two commandments, love God and love neighbor, love others. And everything in the Christian life is meant to be, in some way, an expression of those two fundamental commandments. Okay, keep that in your mind and go back to our reading. Why is Jesus so hard on the religious leaders of his day? Well, here's the answer, or at least part of it. The religious leaders that he's talking about in, this, in these verses, were, they were subverting those two great commandments. The religious leaders of his day were using religion, this is very odd, they were using religion to do the opposite of loving God with all that they are and loving their neighbors like they love themselves. Here's what I mean. They were supposed to be lo busy loving God. They were supposed to love God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength, all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. Note the word all. They were it was supposed to be a comprehensive life of love directed towards God. And if you were to ask them, hey, religious leaders, do you love God? What do you think their answer would be? Well, of course, they, I love God a lot. Oh, my goodness, have you seen my robes? Oh. You know, I mean, they, of course, but Jesus sees right through them. And he is pointing out that their main concern is not really God. Not really 
they maybe even thought it was. But Jesus is pointing out that really something else is going on. Their main concern is honoring themselves. And that's why they love their long robes. And that's why they like sitting in the best place in church. And that's why they like people stopping them on the road and saying, oh my goodness, are you really that particular religious leader? The point is, their religion, catch this, camouflaged their narcissism. They were supposed to be busy loving other people. And if you asked them, do you love other people? What would they have said? Of course. But Jesus sees right through them. And he sees that their main concern is not loving other people, not really. Their main concern was themselves. And Jesus has this very powerful image to describe this. Look back at the text. He says, they devour widows' houses. Catch that. The image, they eat up what belongs to the most vulnerable. Uh, it's remarkable to me how Jesus, in one little image, can uh, capture the nightmare of toxic religious leadership, devouring widows' houses. Think of it this way. Um, these religious leaders, they were super religious. Like, they were professionals. Like, they were ninjas at being religious. And everyone looked at these guys and said, man, they do it right. They know how to get the job done. But despite that, Jesus looks at them and says, no, 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 they're getting it all wrong because they're devouring widows' houses. In other words, Jesus is saying they are, in a way, religious consumerists. They have their own agenda in life. And this might sound familiar. They had ambition, don't you? Um, they wanted to succeed in life, don't you? Uh, they wanted to be recognized. They wanted to be respected. They wanted all of these things. And they found that religion was really, really useful in getting them to where it is they wanted to go. And so rather than loving God comprehensively, what they were really doing is they were, in a sense, consuming God's religion, using it or leveraging it for the ends that they really wanted that orbited around themselves. And rather than really loving other people, and of course, love is always a giving of oneself away. Rather than giving themselves away to other people, what they were doing is that they were leveraging the people under their authority for their own ends. They were consuming them. They were devouring widows' houses. Now, here's the thing that we just all have to understand. Religion can be one of the most effective ways to camouflage selfishness and narcissism and what the Bible calls sin. In fact, one of the easiest places to hide from God is just inside the church or right behind a pulpit. And part of the reason that's true is that if we check all the right boxes, and we say all the right things, and maybe even if we give the right amount of money, this is part of why I'm talking about this, we can fool ourselves into thinking that we're serving God when in actual fact we're deeply running away from him, we're consuming religion, and we're serving ourselves. This is the odd thing about Christianity. 
Like for instance, let's say, okay, let's, let's pick up the giving thing just for a second. Um, let's say I, I start giving. And let's say I start giving a reasonable amount. I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna like hit that target, that 10% target, which is pretty standard um, in Christian thought. And, and I won't say this out loud, but I'll say something maybe in here. And I'll start to think to myself, oh yes, at least I'm doing my bit. And I'm glad I'm doing my bit. God, have you noticed? <laughs> I'm doing my bit. And, and it, can, it can end up being a way that I reassure myself that I'm okay, that if I were audited in my life, that there wouldn't be a finding I'd have to deal with. And then it's a short step to beginning to say, God, look at what I've done for you. Now you're a little bit on the hook for blessing me. And it starts to become a little bit of an exchange, and we start to consume. Outwardly, it can look like we're doing everything right. But inwardly, I can still get it all wrong. And Jesus isn't fooled. I'm fooled all the time. But Jesus isn't. And it's important that we see that, that selfish, consumeristic, false, toxic religion is smoke in the nostrils of God. All right. Everybody breathe. <sighs> Cheery, isn't it? That's the phony stuff. Let's think about the, the real thing. Go back to the reading. Because right as Jesus has been saying, hey, check out, watch out for those uh, phonies, then he goes over and he does a super awkward thing. Oh, my goodness. He goes over to the treasury where everybody's giving, and he watches. He starts people watching when they're giving. And I can just imagine the disciples going, Jesus, this is weird. Avert your eyes. It's like he's stalking an ATM in the other direction or something like that. It's like, Jesus, you're not supposed to look. Jesus, you're not supposed to do this. Keep on walking. And Jesus doesn't care. And he stays. And then all of a sudden, he sees this little, this older, elderly widow put in two little coins. And then all of a sudden, Jesus goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Disciples, come here. Look. That's it. The phonies are over there. This is the real thing. Did you see this woman? She gave two little tiny coins. That's the real deal. That's, what I'm, that's real religion. And I'm sure the disciples were lost. Why in the world is Jesus so happy about this, um, this widow? Well, verse 44 says this. She gave everything that she had to live on. But literally, it's more abrupt she gave her life. Now, why would Jesus be happy about that? Well, because it kind of sounds like a, a terrible thing to do, right? Doesn't it? She gives all her money away? That's ridiculous. And I do want to make sure we understand that the point of this is not that we should all empty out our savings accounts. Okay? It's not... The point is that this widow is doing the opposite of what the religious leaders are doing. They consumed religion to serve themselves, and she's giving everything that she is away to God. And remember, love, loving God is self-giving. Loving others, self-giving. She's self-giving. She gives her life. She's loving God with all of her heart, all of her mind, all of her strength. See, she's entrusting her entire life, every aspect of it, to God. And that's the sort of thing that Jesus looks at and says, there's two commandments all rolled into one, just like there's two little coins. 
Now, what does, I, what does this mean for us? Now, like I said, it does not mean that we should uh, give all of our savings and dump it all into uh, the church treasury. And if you ever hear a pastor say that, refer them to verse 40 about devouring widows' houses. Jesus' point is more comprehensive than that. It's deeper than that, and it's more challenging than that. Friends, the religious leaders had a deep orientation problem. They had a heart problem. They were orientated towards self-consumption, selfish consumption. Um, and, and we all share that orientation to selfish consumption, right? And this is one of the reasons we can appear to do all the right things, but use it to satisfy our selfish desires, and we can end up being devoid of love, devoid of self-giving. And Jesus wants to change that deep orientation. He wants to reorient our deepest desires from living for ourselves to living from God, from selfish consumption to loving God and loving those whom God loves, other people. And when Jesus gives us that reorientation, one of the ways you know that that's beginning to happen is that we find ourselves not just liking Jesus for the, for the goodies he gives us, but rather we find ourselves uh, overcome with love for Jesus and a desire or an aspiration to give all that we are to him and all that we are away just because he's given all that he is to us. Just like this widow gave her whole life, Jesus leads us to a place where at least at the level of aspiration, we want to say to Jesus, Jesus Christ, I love you because you first loved me. Lord Jesus, take all that I am. I offer it to you freely. Take all that I am and use it for your glory. Jesus, take my life. Take, for instance, my career, whether I am satisfied with it or whether I am deeply dissatisfied and disappointed for it. Use my career somehow for your glory and show me what that means. Take, Jesus, my identity, whether I am very, very clear about who I am or whether that is an epicenter of my struggle. Wherever I'm at, use my identity. Let me give it to you and show me how to use it for your glory. Take, Jesus, my past and its pain. And take my future and my ambitions and desires and hopes and dreams. And take it all, Lord Jesus. I don't know how it will be used for your glory, but I want it to be used for your glory. So teach me how to do that and show me what that means. Jesus, take my relationships. Take my singleness, whether I am content in my singleness or whether I deeply desire a spouse use it for your glory. Take my marriage, whether I am happy in it or profoundly disappointed, use it for your glory. And then in that larger story of giving, of a desire to give all that we are to, to the Lord Jesus Christ, then we say, Jesus, take my money too. Whether I have a lot or a little, Show me how 100% of my spending can be somehow a reflection of your glory. I don't even know what that means, but I want it to be true. 
And let me start with giving a portion of it. But Lord, the 10% I give, let that be the start so that eventually nine, the other 90% is also used somehow for your glory as I spend. You see how radical Jesus' call to discipleship is? And I can well imagine somebody coming back and saying, that's crazy. In fact, that's dangerous. Um, I could imagine somebody saying that that's just way too extreme. This is, this is crazy. And if that's what comes up for you, totally. Look, look back at the reading. Why is Jesus so excited about the widow? Uh, part of it is because she's a model, and she's uh, a model of, uh, she's showing the disciples how to be disciples. But it's not just that. It's as if Jesus looks at this widow and he sees an image of precisely what he has come to do. He looks at the widow and he sees an image of the mission that God the Father has given him. Why? Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he has not already done. Jesus came not merely to teach us, not merely to give us an example. He came to give his life away, utterly to give all that he is. And when Jesus died upon the cross, that's what he was doing. He was giving his father everything that he is. And as Jesus died upon the cross, he was perfectly fulfilling those two commands. He was giving himself completely to his father. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. But in the same moment, he was perfectly loving his neighbor. In fact, he was loving his enemies. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that prayer was directed straight to those who had pinned him up upon the cross. In that moment, he was praying even for those consumeristic, selfish, toxic religious leader who had devoured widows' houses. He was praying for them. And he was praying for me. And he gave all that he is to his father in love. And he gave all that he is to his neighbors, to me, upon the cross in love. And friends, it's when you look at Jesus giving all that he is for you and all that he is for me, giving his little two coins and all his life away, that's when you'll see why it makes sense to give all that you are to him. It's as you see Jesus give all that he is for you that it calls forth that desire in us to say, yes, I receive all that you are, Jesus, and it is my desire, given that I have been loved infinitely, to love with all that I am back. It's a big vision for the Christian life. And part of the reason I want to talk about this is that as we go through this mini-series on generosity, if at the end all that happens is we just give a bit more, that'll be a failure. Friends, Jesus doesn't, he, Jesus doesn't need your money. But he wants your life. And in a deep way, we will never know true freedom until we give our way, our lives, to Jesus Christ. So that's what we're being called to. And when it comes to money, so if we pick up the money thing and bring it over here, it'll be something like this. Jesus, I want to give all that I am to you because you have given all that you are to me. Pour out your spirit upon me 
and reorient me away from selfish consumerism to the freedom of self-giving, the freedom of giving my life to you in love and to others in love. And I want that freedom to impact my financial life. Lord Jesus, it's my desire that all that I am be yours. Teach me to start by giving a portion of, of my income and use the giving as a way to practice week by week and month by month the, the muscle of giving away my life. And friends, as that, happen, as that happens, giving may well become one of the most transformative acts of worship in the whole of your life. So friends, that's what we're inviting you to. Look at Jesus, see all that he gives for you. Hear him summon forth a life of self-giving love for him. And then we'll apply that to every area, including our money. Amen? Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.